Hello everybody, Andrew Gamison here with the Speaking for Him podcast. This may be hard to believe, but this week we are halfway through the Pilgrim's Progress officially. It is part five, and I am super excited for you to hear this. As I've said before, uh, this was truly a labor of love, and I'm just excited to have people listening to it, and, and the feedback that I've heard has been amazing. You guys are giving it a lot of listens, so make sure that you let your friends know about these podcasts so that they can avail themselves of them as well. But before we get into our Pilgrim's Progress episode of the day, I want to talk to you a little bit about what is going on. Well, first of all, I want to say how great it's been to be able to be out and about a little bit once again here in West Michigan. You know, we've struggled a lot uh, with different uh, lockdowns and and different restrictions on being able to do things, Uh, but it's been nice to be out and about a little bit more, and things are going well at the Potter's House, so continue to pray for us that we are able to uh, stay open, and everybody's able to stay healthy for the most part. We've been very blessed so far, so just continue to lift us up in your prayers when you think of it. We are just a couple of days away from spring break, something that I am very excited about. And as we're continuing um, to think about uh, this pandemic, one of the things that we have talked about or at least thought about as we've seen it in the news media is the way that this um, affects different businesses. So I just want to give a plug for a local business that I have enjoyed, and that is Love's Ice Cream in the downtown market. Um, I just was there today, and I enjoyed a single-scoop waffle cone of dark chocolate um, vegan non-dairy ice cream, and I have to say that it was delish. So if you get a chance to uh, check out Love's Ice Cream in the downtown market, please do. I'm sure they will appreciate your business. And I just saw this week that they are beginning to ship ice cream to your house. So if you've ever wanted high-quality ice cream delivered to your house, checking out Love's is a good way to go. They have several uh, vegan choices. A lot of the ice cream places will have one vegan choice, and that's about it. Um, Love's has several vegan choices, non-dairy, and so that just makes it a lot easier for people like my family who have allergies to be able to enjoy those things. So I just wanted to make you aware of that and to encourage you to patronize them. I just wanted to share with you something that I heard this morning on the Paula Ferris podcast. Now, Paula Ferris was a news anchor for ABC News. Um, I believe that she worked uh, with Good Morning America, if I'm not mistaken. I got acquainted with her because she actually did an episode of the Sports Spectrum podcast. And if you've been listening for any length of time, you know that we had the host of that podcast, Jason Romano, on this past fall. And I'm a pretty regular listener of the Sports Spectrum podcast. She just recently retooled things and came out with a new podcast um, called the Paula Ferris Faith and Calling Podcast. 
and I began listening to it a few weeks ago. Now, Paula Ferris's Faith and Calling podcast has featured such guests as Candace Cameron Bure and Chris Tomlin and Sadie Robertson, and I just really like the way that she gives encouragement for the journey of life and specifically for people who are trying to walk the Christian journey. And it's been encouraging to me. And this morning I was listening to an episode that she did a few weeks back with Kathy Lee Gifford. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Kathy Lee Gifford, but she was on the Today Show and she was partnered for many years with Hoda Kotb, and they they did their Kathy Lee and Hoda thing on the Today Show, and she also did Live with Regis. So Regis and Kathy Lee was a thing for several years as well. But one thing that's interesting about Kathy Lee is when her husband died, when Frank Gifford died, she went on the Today Show and she gave a gospel testimony. And she talked about how her hope was in Jesus Christ. And that was very encouraging to me for two ways. First of all, that that NBC allowed that to be aired. And secondly, that Kathy was so bold in that opportunity. And so it really just spoke to me. And then this morning as I'm listening to this interview um, on the Paula Ferris podcast, I was just struck by a particular uh, clip that I'm going to share with you now about what Kathy Lee Gifford said about um, continuing to uh, live out her life and do the things uh, that God has called her to do. So what is it for you when you peel back those layers? What are you good at? What do you love? And what do trusted people notice you're good at? You love answering those questions. What do you think it would be? Well, I don't ever define myself by something as limited as those things you just said. I define myself, Kathy Lee, child of God. <laughs> and scripture says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens good. me. And also, someone said to me the other day, that can also be translated as I can do all seasons of my life through mm-hmm. Christ who strengthens mm-hmm. me. So again, that goes back to, when I look back on my whole life, especially in this book, I go down a memory lane a lot on it. What is the common denominator? Not my faithfulness to him, his faithfulness to me. It's good. So the rest of my life looks like this, whether I'm directing, writing, talking, singing, which I don't do that much of anymore, but um, whatever it is, it will be creative because I co-create with God every single day of my life. Jehovah Elohim, mm. God, creator, God. I will be trying. My great desire will be one thing and one thing alone, to tell people that Jesus loves them. And there's two things that I want to bring out of that clip. Uh, first of all, I really think that Kathy Lee grasps that the truth of the scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A lot of times people people think that that means if I put my mind to something, then I can do it. 
Um, and I think that can sometimes get us into trouble when we think that way because I think that God gives us certain giftings and callings. But I think what I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me actually means is whatever God gives me to do, I can do it with all my might through his strength. And I think Kathy understands that, and I liked her perspective on I can do all seasons of life with his strength. Because if you remember, the context of this verse is Paul saying, I've been, I've had plenty, I've had nothing. I've been poor, I've had much. I've been full, I've been empty. And in every situation, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, it doesn't mean that we can step out of God's plan for our lives We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for works that he before ordained that we should walk in them. So he has a clear plan for our lives and we should walk in it. But I really appreciated the fact that Kathy Lee was saying, hey, if God has called you to do something, you can do it in the strength of the Lord. The second thing that I want to pull out of that audio that she said was that whatever she does, whether acting, whether writing, whether singing, whatever it is, she just wants one thing out of life, and that's to share with others that Jesus loves them. And that that really resonates with my goal for life, is Jesus loves you. He has an all-consuming, never-ending love like the Corey Asbury song says. He wants what's best for you. I think this is something that we miss often, is that God created us, and so he might just have a thing or two to say about the way that we live our lives. So I hope that that was encouraging to you, and I hope that this episode of The Pilgrim's Progress that is upcoming will be encouraging you as Encouraging to you as well. One thing I like about this episode is it is the episode where Christian uh, fights Apollyon and goes through a really tough valley, but then he meets his friend Faithful. And we see how they encourage one another to keep on keeping on. Today's cast includes Craig Apel as John Bunyan, Richard Meninga as Apollyon, Andrew Gomison as Man 1, Timothy Van Bruggen as Man 2, and then Matthew Gomison portrays Faithful. So many thanks to these fine people as well as Caleb Thiessen for producing this episode once again. And so now it is my privilege to present to you Speaking from Readers Theaters, Pilgrim's Progress, Part 5. But now, in this valley of humiliation, poor Christian was hard put to it. For he had gone but a little way before he espied a foul fiend coming over the field to meet him. His name is Apollyon. Then did Christian begin to be afraid and to cast in his mind whether to go back or to stand his ground. But he considered again that 
he had no armor for his back, and therefore thought that to turn the back to him might give him the greater advantage, with ease to pierce him with its darts. Therefore he resolved to venture and stand his ground. For, thought he, had I no more in mine eye than the saving of my life, it would be the best way to stand. So he went on, and Apollyon met him. Now the monster was hideous to behold. He was clothed with scales like a fish, and they are his pride. He had wings like a dragon, feet like a bear, and out of his belly came fire and smoke, and his mouth was as the mouth of a lion. And he was come up to Christian, and beheld him with a disdainful countenance, and thus began to question with him, Whence come you, and whither are you bound? I am come from the city of destruction, which is the place of all evil, and I am going to the city of Zion. By this I perceive thou art one of my subjects, for all that country is mine, and I am the prince and god of it. How is it then that thou hast run away from thy king? Were it not that I hope that thou mayst doest me more service, I would strike thee now at one blow to the ground." I was born indeed in your dominions, but your service was hard, and your wages such as a man could not live on, for the wages of sin is death. Therefore, when I was come to years, I did as other considerate persons do, look out if perhaps I might mend myself. There is no prince that will thus lightly lose his subjects, neither will I as yet lose thee. But since thou complainest of thy service and wages... Be content to go back. What our country will afford, I do here promise to give thee. But I have let myself to another, even to the king of princes. And how can I, with fairness, go back with thee? Thou hast done in this, according to the proverb, changed a bad for a worse. But it is ordinary for those that have professed themselves to his servants, after a while, to give him the slip and return to me. Do thou so too, and all shall be well. I have given him my faith and sworn my allegiance to him. How then can I go back from this and not be hanged as a traitor? Thou didst the same to me, and yet I am willing to pass by all, if now thou wilt yet turn again and go back. What I promised thee was in my knowledge, and besides, I count the prince under whose banner now I stand is able to absolve me. Yea, and to pardon also what I did as to my compliance with thee. And besides, O thou destroying Apollyon, to speak truth, I like his service, his wages, his servants, his government, his company, and country better than thine. And therefore leave off to persuade thee further. I am his servant, and I will follow him. Consider again, when thou art in cool blood what thou art like to meet with in the way that thou goest. Thou knowest that, for the most part, his servants come to an ill end, because they are transgressors against me and my ways. How many of them have been put to shameful deaths? And besides, thou countest his service better than mine, whereas he never came yet from the place where he is to deliver any that served him out of their hands. But as for me... How many times, as all the world very well knows, have I delivered, either by power or fraud, those that have faithfully served me from him and his, though taken by them, and so I will deliver thee. 
His forbearing at present to deliver them is on purpose to try their love, whether they will cleave to him to the end. And as for the ill end, thou sayest, they come to, that is most glorious in their account, for for present deliverance they do not much expect it, for they stay for their glory, and then they shall have it when their prince comes in his glory of the angels. Thou hast already been unfaithful in thy service to him, and how dost thou think to receive wages of him? Wherein, O Apollyon, have I been unfaithful to him? Thou didst faint at first setting out, when thou wast almost choked in the gulf of Despond. Thou didst attempt wrong ways to be rid of thy burden, whereas against thou should have stayed till the prince had taken it off. Thou didst sinfully sleep and lose thy choice thing. Thou wast also almost persuaded to go back at the sight of the lions. And when thou talkest of thy journey and of what thou hast heard and seen, thou art inwardly desirous of vainglory in all that thou sayest or doest. All this is true and much more which thou hast left out. But the prince whom I serve with honor is merciful and ready to forgive. But besides, these infirmities possessed me in thy country, for there I sucked them in. And I have groaned under them, been sorry for them, and have obtained pardon of my prince. Ah, I am an enemy to this prince. I hate his person his laws and people. I am come out on purpose to withstand thee. Apollyon, beware what you do, for I am in the king's highway, the way of holiness. Therefore take heed to yourself. Then Apollyon straddled quite over the whole breadth of the way, and said, I am void of fear in this matter. Prepare thyself to die, for I swear by my infernal den that thou shalt go no further. Here I will spill thy soul. And with that, he threw a flaming dart at his breast. But Christian had a shield in his hand with which he caught it, and so prevented the danger of that. Then did Christian draw, for he saw it was time to bestir him. And Apollyon as fast made at him, throwing darts as thick as hail, which, notwithstanding all that Christian could do to avoid it, Apollyon wounded him in his head, his hand, and this made Christian give a little back. Apollyon therefore followed his work amain, and Christian again took courage and resisted as manfully as he could. This sore combat lasted for about half a day, even till Christian was almost quite spent. For you must know that Christian, by reason of his wounds, must need grow weaker and weaker. Then Apollyon, despising his opportunity, began to gather up close to Christian, and wrestling with him, gave him a dreadful fall, and with that Christian's sword flew out of his hand. I am sure of thee now. And with that he had almost pressed him to death, so that Christian began to despair of life. But as God would have it, while Apollyon was fetching of his last blow, thereby to make a full end of this good man, Christian nimbly stretched out his hand for his sword and caught it, saying, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. With that gave him a deadly thrust, which made him give back as one that had received his mortal wound. Christian, perceiving that, made at him again, saying, Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. With that, 
Apollyon spread forth his dragon's wings and sped him away, that Christian for a season saw him no more. In this combat no man can imagine, unless he had seen and heard as I did, what yelling and hideous roaring Apollyon made all the time of the fight. He spake like a dragon. And on the other side, what sighs and groans burst from Christian's heart. I never saw him all the while give so much as one pleasant look, till he perceived he had wounded Apollyon with his two-edged sword. Then indeed he did smile and look upward, but it was the most dreadful sight that ever I saw. So when the battle was over, Christian said, I will here give thanks to him that delivered me out of the mouth of the lion, to him that did help me against Apollyon. Great Beelzebub, the captain of this fiend, designed my ruin therefore to this end. He sent him harnessed out, and he with rage, that hellish was, did fiercely me engage. But blessed Michael helped me, and I by dint of sword did quickly make him fly. Therefore to him let me give lasting praise, and thank and bless his holy name always. Then there came to him a hand, with some of the leaves of the tree of life, the which Christian took and applied to the wounds that he had received in the battle, and was healed immediately. He also sat down in that place to eat bread and to drink of the bottle that was given him a little before. So being refreshed, he addressed himself to his journey, with his sword drawn in his hand. I know not, but some other enemy may be at hand. But he met with no other affront from Apollyon quite through this valley. Now at the end of this valley was another, the valley of the shadow of death. And Christian must needs go through it, because the way to the celestial city lay through the midst of it. Now this valley is a very solitary place. The prophet Jeremiah thus describes it, a wilderness in a land of deserts and of pits, a land of drought and of the shadow of death, a land that no man but a Christian passed through and where no man dwelt. Now here Christian was worse put to it than in his fight with Apollyon, as by the sequel you shall see. I saw then in my dream that when Christian was got to the borders of the shadow of death, there met him two men, children of them that brought up an evil report of the good land, making haste to go back, to whom Christian spake as follows. Whither are you going? Back, back, and we would have you do so too if either life or peace is prized by you. Why? What's the matter? Matter? We were going that way as you are going, and went as far as we durst. And indeed, we were almost past coming back, for had we gone a little further, we had not been here to bring the news to thee. But what have you met with? Why, we were almost to the valley of the shadow of death, but that by good hap we looked before us, and saw the danger before we came to it. But what have you seen? Seen? Why, the valley itself, which is as dark as pitch. We also saw there the hobgoblins, satyrs, and dragons of the pit. We heard also in that valley a continual howling and yelling as of a people under unutterable misery, who there sat bound in affliction and irons. Over that valley hangs the discouraging clouds confusion. Death also doth always spread his wings over it, 
In a word, it is every whit dreadful, being utterly without order. I perceive not yet by what you have said, but that this is my way to the desired haven. Be it thy way, we will not choose it for ours. So they parted, and Christian went on his way, but still with his sword drawn in his hand, for fear lest he should be assaulted. I saw then in my dream, so far as this valley reached, there was on the right hand a very deep ditch. That ditch is it into which the blind have led the blind in all ages, and have both there miserably perished. And again, behold, on the left hand, there was a very dangerous quag, into which, if even a good man falls, he could find no bottom for his foot to stand on. Into that quag King David once did fall, and had no doubt therein been smothered, had not he that is able plucked him out. The pathway was here also exceedingly narrow, and therefore good Christian was the more put to it. For when he sought in the dark to shun the ditch on the one hand, he was ready to trip over into the mire on the other. Also, when he sought to escape the mire, without great carefulness, he would be ready to fall into the ditch. Thus he went on, and I heard him here sigh bitterly. For beside the dangers mentioned, the pathway was here so dark that oft times when he lift up his foot to set it forward, he knew not where or upon what he should set it next. About the midst of this valley, I perceived the mouth of hell to be, and it stood also hard by the wayside. Now what shall I do? And ever and anon the flame and smoke would come out in such abundance, with sparks and hideous noises, things that cared not for Christian sword as Apollyon before, that he was forced to put up his sword and take himself to another weapon called All Prayer. So he cried in my hearing, O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Then he went on a great while, yet still the flames would be reaching towards him. Also he heard the doleful voices and rushings to and fro that sometimes he thought he should be torn in pieces or trodden down like mire in the streets. This frightful sight was seen. And these dreadful noises were heard by him for several miles together, coming to a place where he thought he heard a company of fiends coming toward to meet him. He stopped and began to muse what he had best do. Sometimes he had half a thought to go back. Then again he thought he might be halfway through the valley. He remembered also how he had already vanquished many a danger, and that the danger of going back might be much more than for to go forward, so he resolved to go on. Yet the fiends seemed to come nearer and nearer, but when they were come even almost at him, he cried out with a most vehement voice, I will walk in the strength of the Lord God. So they gave back and came no further. One thing I would not let slip, I took notice now that poor Christian was so confounded that he did not know his own voice. Thus I perceived it. Just when he was come over against the mouth of the burning pit, one of the wicked ones got behind him and stepped up softly to him and whisperingly suggested many grievous blasphemies to him, which he verily thought had proceeded from his own mind. 
this put Christian more to it than anything that he had met with before. Even to think that he should now blaspheme him that he loved so much before. Yet if he could have helped it, he would not have done it. But he had not the discretion either to stop his ears or to know from whence these blasphemies came. But Christian had traveled in this disconsolate condition some considerable time. He thought he heard the voice of a man as going before him, saying, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Then he was glad, and that for these reasons. First, because he gathered from thence that some who feared God were in this valley as well as himself. Secondly, for that he perceived God was with them, though in that dark and dismal state. Why not with me? Though by reason of the impediment that attends this place, I cannot perceive it. Thirdly, he hoped he could overtake them to have company by and by. So he went on and called to him that was before, but he knew not what to answer, for that he also thought himself to be alone. And by and by, the day broke. You have turned the shadow of death into morning. Now morning being come, he looked back not out of desire to return, but to see, by the light of day, what hazards he had gone through in the dark. So he saw more perfectly the ditch that was on the one hand and the quag that was on the other. Also how narrow the way was, which led betwixt them both. Also now he saw the hobgoblins and the satyrs and dragons of the pit, but all afar off. For after break of day they came not nigh. Yet they were discovered to him according to that which is written. He discovereth deep things out of darkness, and bringeth out to the light the shadow of death. Now was Christian much affected with his deliverance from all the dangers of his solitary way, which dangers, though he feared them more before, yet he saw them more clearly now because the light of day made them conspicuous to him. And about this time the sun was rising, and this was another mercy to Christian. For you must note that though the first part of the valley of the shadow of death was dangerous, yet this second part which he was yet to go was, if possible, far more dangerous. Far from the place where he now stood, even to the end of the valley, the way was all along set so full of snares, traps, gins, and nets, and so full of pits, pitfalls, deep holes, and shelvings down there, that had it now been dark, as it were when he came to the first part of the way, had he had a thousand souls, they had in reason been cast away. But as I said just now, the sun was rising. His candle shineth upon my head, and by his light I walk through darkness. In this light, therefore, he came to the end of the valley. Now I saw in my dream that at the end of the valley lay blood, bones, ashes, and mangled bodies of men, even of pilgrims that had gone this way formerly. And while I was musing what should be the reason, I espied a little before me a cave where two giants... Pope and pagan dwelt in old time, but whose power and tyranny the men whose bones, blood, and ashes there were cruelly put to death. 
But by this place Christian went without much danger, whereat I somewhat wondered. But I have learnt since that Pagan has been dead many a day, and as for the other, though he be yet alive, he is by reason of age, and also of the many shrewd brushes that he met with in his younger days, grown so crazy and stiff in his joints that he can now do little more than sit in his cave's mouth, grinning at pilgrims as they go by, and biting his nails because he cannot come at them. So I saw that Christian went on his way. Yet at the sight of the old man that sat in the mouth of the cave, he could not tell what to think, especially because he spake to him, though he could not go after him, saying, You will never mend till more of you be burned. But he held his peace and set a good face on it, and so went by and catched no hurt. O world of wonders, I can say no less that I should be preserved in that distress that I have met with here. O blessed be that hand that from it hath delivered me. Dangers and darkness, devils, hell and sin did compass me while I this veil was in. Yea, snares and pits and traps and nets did lie my path about that worthless silly eye might have been catched, entangled and cast down. But since I live, yet Jesus wear the crown. Now as Christian went on his way, he came to a little ascent which was cast up on purpose that pilgrims might see before them. Up there, therefore, Christian went, and looking forward, he saw faithful before him upon his journey. Ho, ho, so ho, stay, and I will be your companion. At that faithful look behind him, to whom Christian cried again, Stay, stay, till I come up to you. No, I am upon my life, and the avenger of blood is behind me. At this, Christian was somewhat moved, and putting to all his strength, he quickly got up with Faithful, and did also overrun him, so the last was first. Then did Christian vaingloriously smile, because he had gotten the start of his brother, but not taking good heed to his feet, he suddenly stumbled and fell, and could not rise again until Faithful came up to help him. Then I saw in my dream they went very lovingly on together and had sweet discourse of all things that had happened to them in their pilgrimage. My honored and well-beloved brother Faithful, I am glad that I have overtaken you, and that God has so tempered our spirits that we can walk as companions in this so pleasant a path. I had thought, dear friend, to have had your company quite from our town, but you did get the start of me, wherefore I was forced to come thus much of the way alone. How long did you stay in the city of destruction, before you set out after me on your pilgrimage? Till I could stay no longer, for there was great talk presently after you were gone out that our city would, in short time, with fire from heaven, be burned down to the ground. What? Did your neighbors talk so? Yes. It was for a while in everybody's mouth. What? And did no more of them but you come out to escape the danger? Though there were, as I said, a great talk thereabout, yet I do not think they did firmly believe it. For in the heat of the discourse, I heard some of them deridingly speak of you, and of your desperate journey, for so they called this your pilgrimage. But I did believe, and do still, that the end of our city will be with fire and brimstone from above, and therefore I have made my escape. Did you hear no talk of neighbor Pliable? 
Yes, Christian. I heard that he followed you till he came to the slough of despond, where, as some said, he fell in. But he would not be known to have done so, but I am sure he was soundly bedabbled with that kind of dirt. And what said the neighbors to him? He had, since his going back, been had greatly in derision, and that among all sorts of people, some do mock and despise him, and scarce will set him on work. He is now seven times worse than if he had never gone out of the city. But why would they be so set against him, since they also despise the way that he forsook? Oh, they say, hang him. He is a turncoat. He was not true to his profession. I think God has stirred up even his enemies to hiss at him, and make him a proverb, because he hath forsaken the way. Had you no talk with him before you came out? I met him once in the streets, but he leered away on the other side, as one ashamed of what he had done. So I spoke not to him. Well, at my first setting out, I had hopes of that man. But now I fear he will perish in the overthrow of the city. For it has happened to him according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to its own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. These are my fears of him, too. But who can hinder that which will be? Well, neighbor faithful, let us leave him and talk of things that more immediately concern ourselves. Tell me now what you have met with in the way as you came, for I know you have met with some things, or else it would be writ for a wonder. I escaped the slough that I perceived you fell into, and got up to the gate without the danger. Only I met with one whose name was Wanton had liked to have done me some mischief. It was well you escaped her, Net. Joseph was hard put to it by her, and he escaped her as you did. But it had like to have cost him his life. But what did she do to you? You cannot think, but that you know something. What a flattering tongue she had. She lay at me hard to turn aside with her, promising me all manner of content. Hey, she did not promise you the content of a good conscience. You know what I mean, all carnal and fleshly content. Thank God you have escaped her. The abhorred of the Lord shall fall into her ditch. Nay, I know not whether I did wholly escape her or no. Why, I trow you, did you consent to her desires? No, not to defile myself, for I remembered an old writing that I had seen, which said, Her steps take hold on hell. So I shut mine eyes, because I would not be bewitched with her looks. Then she railed on me, and I went my way. Did you meet with no other assault as you came? When I came to the foot of the hill called Difficulty, I met with a very aged man, who asked me what I was and whither bound. I told him that I am a pilgrim going to the celestial city. Then said the old man, Thou lookest like an honest fellow. Wilt thou be content to dwell with me for the wages that I shall give thee? Then I asked him his name and where he dwelt. He said his name was Adam the First, and that he dwelt in the town of deceit. I asked him then what was his work and what the wages that he would give. He told me that his work was many delights and his wages that I should be his heir at last. I further asked him what house he kept and what other servants he had. So he told me his house was maintained with all the dainties in the world, and that his servants were those of his own begetting. Then I asked if he had any children. He said that he had but three daughters, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, 
and the pride of life, and that I should marry them all if I would. Then I asked how long time he would have me live with him. He told me as long as he lived himself. Well, and what conclusion came the old man and you two at last? Why, at first I found myself somewhat inclinable to go with the man, for I thought he spake very fair. But looking in his forehead as I talked with him, I saw there written, Put off the old man with his deeds. And how then? Then it came burning hot into my mind, whatever he said and however he flattered. When he got me home to his house, he would sell me for a slave. So I bid him forbear to talk for I would not come near the door of his house. Then he reviled me, and told me that he would send such a one after me that should make my way bitter to my soul. So I turned to go away from him. But just as I turned myself to go thence, I felt him take hold of my flesh and give me such a deadly twitch back that I thought he had pulled part of me after himself. This made me cry, O oh, wretched man! So I went on my way up the hill. Now when I had got about halfway up, I looked behind and saw one coming after me swift as the wind. So he overtook me just about the place where the settle stands. Just there did I sit down to rest me, but being overcome with sleep, I there lost this roll out of my bosom. But, good brother, hear me out. So soon as the man overtook me, he was but a word and a blow, for down he knocked me and laid me for dead. But when I was a little come to myself again, I asked him wherefore he served me so. He said, because of my secret inclining to Adam the first. And with that he struck me another deadly blow on the breast and beat me down backward. So I lay at his foot as dead as before. So when I came to myself again, I cried him mercy. But he said, I know not how to show mercy. And with that he knocked me down again. He had doubtless made an end of me, but that one came by and bid him forbear. Who was that that bid him forbear? I did not know him at first, but as he went by, I perceived the holes in his hands and in his side, and then I concluded that he was our Lord. So I went up the hill. That man that overtook you was Moses. He spareth none, neither knoweth he how to show mercy to those that transgress his law. I know it very well. It was not the first time that he has met with me. It was he that came to me when I dwelt securely at home, and that told me he would burn my house over my head if I stayed there. Did you not see the house that stood there on top of the hill, on the side of which Moses met you? Yes, and the lions too, before I came at it. But for the lions I think they were asleep, for it was about noon. And because I had so much of the day before me, I passed by the porter and came down the hill. He told me, indeed, that he saw you go by, but I wish that you had called at the house, for they would have showed you so many rarities that you would scarcely have forgot them to the day of your death. But pray tell me, did you meet nobody in the Valley of Humility? Yes, I met with one discontent, who would willingly have persuaded me to go back again with him. His reason was, for that the Valley was altogether without honor. He told me, moreover, that there to go was the way to disobey all my friends, as pride, arrogancy, self-conceit, worldly glory, with others, who he knew, as he said, would be very much offended if I made such a fool of myself as to wade through this valley. Well, and how did you answer him? 
I told him that although all these that he named might claim kindred of me, and that rightly, for indeed they were my relations according to the flesh, yet since I became a pilgrim they have disowned me, as I also have rejected them, and therefore they were to me now no more than if they had never been of my lineage. I told him, moreover, that as to this valley he had quite misrepresented the thing, for before honor is humility, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Therefore, said I, I had rather go through this valley to the honor that was so accounted by the wisest, than choose that which he esteemed most worthy of our affections. Met you with nothing else in the valley? Yes, I met with shame. But of all the men that I met with in my pilgrimage, he, I think, bears the wrong name. The others would be said nay, after a little argumentation, in somewhat else. But this bold-faced shame would never have done. Why, what did he say to you? What? Why, he objected against religion itself. He said it was a pitiful, low, sneaking business for a man to mind religion. He said that a tender conscience was an unmanly thing, and that for a man to watch over his words and ways so as to tie up himself from that hectoring liberty that the brave spirits of the times accustom themselves unto would make him the ridicule of the times. He objected also that but few of the mighty, rich, or wise were ever of my opinion, nor any of them neither, before they were persuaded to be fools and to be of a voluntary bondness to venture the loss of all, for nobody knows what. He moreover objected the base and low estate and condition of those that were chiefly the pilgrims, of the times in which they lived, also their ignorance and want of understanding in all natural science. Yea, he did hold me to it at that rate also, about a great many more things than here I relate, as that it was a shame to sit whining and mourning under a sermon, and a shame to come sighing and groaning home that it was a shame to ask my neighbor forgiveness for petty faults, or to make restitution where I have taken from any. He said also that religion made a man grow strange to the great, because of a few vices which he called by finer names, and made him own and respect the base, because of the same religious fraternity. And is not this, said he, a shame? And what did you say to him? Say? I could not tell what to say at the first, Yea, he put me so to it that my blood came up in my face. Even this shame fetched it up, and had almost beat me quite off. But at last I began to consider that that which is highly esteemed among men is had an abomination with God. And I thought again, this shame tells me what men are, but it tells me nothing what God or the word of God is. And I thought moreover that the day of doom we shall not be doomed to death or life, according to the hectoring spirits of the world, but according to the wisdom and law of the highest. Therefore, thought I, what God says is best, indeed is best, though all the men in the world are against it. Seeing then that God prefers his religion, seeing God prefers a tender conscience, seeing that they make themselves fools for the kingdom of heaven are wisest, and that the poor man that loveth Christ is richer than the greatest man in the world that hates him. Shame, depart. Thou art an enemy to my salvation. Shall I entertain thee against my sovereign Lord? How then shall I look him in the face at his coming, 
Should I now be ashamed of his ways and servants? How can I expect the blessing? But indeed, this shame was a bold villain. I could scarce shake him out of my company. Yea, he would be haunting of me, and continually whispering me in the ear, with some one or other of the infirmities that attend religion. But at last I told him it was but in vain to attempt further in this business. For those things that he disdained, in those did I see most glory. And so at last I got past this important one, and when I had shaken him off, I began to sing. The trials that those men do meet withal, that are obedient to the heavenly call, are manifold and suited to the flesh, and come and come and come again afresh. That now or sometime else we by them may be taken, overcome and cast away. Oh, let the pilgrims, let the pilgrims then be vigilant and quit themselves like men. I am glad, my brother, that thou didst withstand this villain so bravely, for of all as thou sayest, I think he has the wrong name. For he is so bold as to follow us in the streets and to attempt to put us to shame before all men. That is, to make us ashamed of that which is good. But if he were not himself audacious, he would never attempt to do as he does. But let us still resist him. For notwithstanding all his bravados, he promoteth the fool and none else. The wise shall inherit glory, said Solomon, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. I think we must cry to him for help against shame, who would have us to be valiant for the truth upon the earth. You say true, but did you meet nobody else in that valley? No, not I, for I had sunshine all the rest of the way through that, and also through the valley of the shadow of death. It is well for you. I am sure it fared far otherwise with me. I had for a long season, as soon almost as I entered into that valley, a dreadful combat with that foul fiend Apollyon. Yea, I thought verily he would have killed me, especially when he got me down and crushed me under him, as if he would have crushed me to pieces. For as he threw me, my sword flew out of my hand. Nay, he told me he was sure of me. But I cried to God, and he heard me, and delivered me out of all my troubles. Then I entered into the valley of the shadow of death, and I had no light for almost half the way through it. I thought I should have been killed there over and over. But at last day broke, and the sun rose, and I went through that which was behind with far more ease and quiet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 